Amen. Good morning. Glad you are joining us, whether you're sitting in the room and I can see your beautiful faces or you're at home. I can't see your beautiful face, but I'm sure it's just as beautiful. Um, we are glad to gather in the name of the Lord this morning and sing his praises. Amen, church. Amen, man. All right. We got we got a responsive bunch this morning. I like it. Um, I hope we're doing well. Um, daylight savings much hit anyone kind of this morning, right? Um, some of us maybe hit a wall when we woke up. It's like, oh man, I feel like I lost an hour because you did. But, but guess what that marks everybody? Spring is coming. I know it snowed this morning, but spring is coming, guys, and, and the days will be longer, and we we're coming out of the long darkness that is winter, and spring is coming, and I am so excited for it because I am tired of the dark winter. Um, not that it's not beautiful, but spring and summer is beautiful here, so glad you could be here if you need your second cup of coffee, if you're like James, you need your fifth cup of coffee, whatever it is to keep us going this morning so we can hear what the Lord has for us. Get in now. Um, if you're at home, sit up. If when Usually when I'm at home watching the service, I'm like leaned back like this and I tend to doze off. So sit up in your bed or in your chair, wherever you are, sit up, maybe make a snack, get some coffee. Let's Listen to what the Lord has prepared for us this morning. But like we have been doing for the previous weeks, if you've been here, you will be familiar with our series we've been going through, our series in the book of Corinthians. Um, if you're new here, hey, we're going through a series in the book of Corinthians. And this is the title, Imperfect Church and Perfect Savior, with the idea that we are the imperfect church, but we have a perfect Savior um, that fills in the gaps and and really fills in all. So the past three weeks or two weeks we've been teaching on gifts. If you were here two weeks ago, Graham preached on gifts and then last week Daryl preached on gifts and this will be the last week that we are in Corinthians specifically in gifts. We'll continue in our Corinthian series but this week marks the last week of three on gifts. If you were here two weeks ago or you joined online two weeks ago, um, Graham preached and he preached through chapter 12, which gives an image of the body of Christ and how it operates healthily, and you have to have all of the parts working together well in their position for the body to work. You know, the foot moves because of so many other things that are making it move and go, and Grant preached a great truth of that we cannot operate fully without a part, and that you have been gifted specially to be a part of that and I love um, the truth that Graham preached about taking action and that we must be people that see and meet needs and watch how God equips us with his gifts. I loved the power that resonated with that. And then last week, Daryl preached on the specific gifts mentioned in chapter 14. And I love what he said. Um, he said, spiritual gifts are given to you, but they're not actually for you. Um, that was kind of hard for me to hear, you know, like they're given to us when they're actually forced there for building up of the church. And he said, gifts begin with loving God and loving others, which flow perfectly into what we're talking about today. Because chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians ends with, but now let me show you the way that is best of all. So Paul's setting up a way that is going to be best of all ways after teaching about gifts. And then he ends 
chapter 13 and starts chapter 14 with let love be your highest goal. So he's saying, all right, you can hear these things and you can listen to these things on either side of this chapter of what I've written. But this middle part must be what it flows out of. He's saying this is important. This is a life that's best of all. And the highest of all the goals should be what he talks about is love. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 today, and you've probably heard this passage multiple times, especially you've, if you've been to a lot of weddings. Um, I'm at the age now, like all my friends are starting to get married, so I've been to a lot of weddings in the past couple years, and you hear this passage a lot. I'm not discrediting the beauty that it can have shared at a wedding and marriage, but I want us to look at the context of how Paul is actually teaching here within gifting giftings, the importance of love, and how everything we are and do must flow out of that. It's not just these beautiful words to be read aloud, but ones to take to heart and know that we will talk about our main point today, that without love, I would be nothing. And you might be sitting there and you're like, well, that's kind of personal, Dylan. How dare you say that about me? I didn't say it about you. I said it about me. I said without love, I would be nothing. So hopefully, Like me this week, I read this and it gripped my heart and the Lord showed me that without love, I would be nothing. So hopefully by the end of this, the Lord will grip your heart and you can identify with that statement. So don't feel attacked or called out. I'm not saying you were nothing. I'm saying without love, I am nothing. So if you identify with that, good, we'll keep going. But Paul, while discussing the important and valuable gifts of chapter 12 and 14, he says that without one thing here, it would all be worthless without love. He does this so we don't get fixated on the gifts themselves and what we ourselves can do with them. It's sandwiched right between these two lessons because if we do not have this one thing, these other things that he's teaching about are worthless and we shouldn't even care. So like I said, we're in 1 Corinthians 13 today. I'm going to read briefly through verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to break them down verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us. Everyone good with that? All right. Hey, man, this is great. You guys, everyone's doing well. If you're you're having it online, say, I'm having it. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's roll. I'm glad everyone's rolling this morning. So let's go. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If you notice, that's kind of where we get the main point this morning. I would be nothing. Continue in verse 3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So just starting, basically, we're going to start verse 1 and go at it. We're going to go, let's see what Paul says. So basically, Paul is taking this. He says, you can speak every language. However, 
you want to interpret that, I think Daryl did a great job last week of defining the gift of tongues. But basically, you can be gifted with whatever it is, language learning, being able to speak in tongues, heavenly tongues, unknown languages, or people being able to understand in their language what you're speaking. Paul says, whatever, you could have all those words. And for me, I read it, I can speak all of this talk. I can have all these fancy words. I can stand up here and say all the fancy and right things. I can come on Sunday morning and I can say the right answers when people ask me about things. But if love is not there, the talk may be good, but we are just annoying gongs or clanging cymbals. Does everyone know what a gong is? Has everyone ever seen one? They're like really big, this big metal round thing, and you take like this big mallet, and you basically just smash it as hard as you can. That's all I really know about them. I don't know their purpose, except to be kind of annoying. And in the right setting, which is no setting, so all settings are the wrong settings for gong in my book, um, they're really annoying. I don't think I could sit in the back of the room and someone be up here talking and just like hitting a gong and you'd be like, oh, I love it. Yeah, keep on doing that. That's good noise right there. Like, it's so annoying. It's like, whoa. So Paul's saying, that's you and myself. If we have these gifts, this, these words, this speech, but we lack love, we're just loud, annoying, and we draw attention to ourselves instead of pointing to Christ. And boy, starting off verse 1, that hit me like a rock this week. Because I like to talk, if you know me. And oftentimes I can just talk the talk. But I'm not holding, like I'm not abiding in the love of Christ. And so what's coming out is just loud and annoying. So if that's been me to you, I apologize. I want to be rooted in love. In verse 2, we continue. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy... I could understand all of God's plans and his word and interpret it and share it with others. I could see it. And he says, if I had faith that could move mountains, calling back to what Jesus says in Matthew 17, if you had faith the size of mustard, you could say to a mountain, get up and move, and it would move. He said, you could have those things. They seem great and amazing. But if I do not love others, they are nothing. And Paul, then he says, if you don't think that's enough, okay, if you don't think these two things are enough, you could have this really what people would call holy life. And the time you'd be really devout. If you gave up everything you had, you gave all you had, sold it to the poor, the clothes off your back, your shoes, whatever it be, you sold it all to the poor, and you lived this life of needing none of it. And then he says, even if you gave to the point where you gave your life to, you said, I must give all I have, give my life. But in verse 3 he says, but if I did not love others, I would have given it all for absolutely nothing. I would have gained nothing. Paul starts with two gifts that he's about to explain later in his letter. He starts with prophecy and tongues, which we were taught about last week. And before he even gets into how God can use them and how uplifting and building and beautiful they can be, he says, if I do not have love, then they are absolutely useless and they are nothing. So you might as well not even read the next chapter because you're forgetting where it comes from. You can speak all you want. We can prophesy all we want. But without love, it is for ourselves. Paul's getting at the heart here, and you can, you can laugh at that kind of, that's a fun, like love, heart, they go together, kind of a pun, 
No one, not yeah. Lame jokes this morning. Ha ha ha, thanks. Um, he's getting at the heart here, but for real, he is. He gives a few scenarios. He mentions tongues, prophecy, faith, giving, giving up all I have, giving my life. But if I do not have love for others, they are all for absolutely nothing. Because we are doing them for ourselves, truly, when we look at it. And we don't want to admit that. I want to read it and say, oh, no, that's not true. Like, it's not for myself. But if I'm lacking love, it is out of my own selfish desire and gain. It's how I will look when I do them. How I will be presented. How people will view me. What I can receive from the feeling of it after I have done it. And none of it is rooted in serving others. Because true selfless service requires love. I want us to use and picture the image of a body that was talked about in the previous chapter. You think of a healthy, functioning body. Regardless if you want to call me healthy or not, we'll use me for an example. I am a body up here, and I can move around, and I can grab things and turn pages, and I can drink and talk and speak and think. And I would say I'm operating as a body is supposed to operate, and it takes so many parts working as they need and are designed to for it to happen. But if someone came up here and somehow took out my heart, I would probably fall over, right? Yeah, that's not a question. Like I would fall, I would die. Like you can't, it's fact, you cannot live without your heart. Your heart is vital in the functioning of all the other parts of your body because it pumps blood and life to the rest so that I can do things. So I want us to have that image and think about that this is us operating as a body without love, without a heart. Has anyone ever seen a zombie movie before? Yes? No? I feel like everyone's seen some form of zombie movie or show. I have a great picture of an appropriate zombie for us because like all the other ones were really gross and like covered in blood. So this is our character zombie. Um, usually they're a lot scarier. Um, but so like picture this of a zombie. They usually move like that, like weird, and like one's dragging a leg and like a lip's falling off. And for some reason, one of their arms is like always stuck like this. And like they do like weird jerking movements. If you've ever seen the movie World War Z, like they like chatter their teeth together. And I do that to Autumn and she hates it. Like it's so funny. Like it'll be dark and I'll just do that like thing and she like freaks out. So like think of like a zombie like that, like these weird unnatural, lifeless, de decaying movements because it lacks life. It lacks a heart. That is us as a body when we do not have love at the root of us. We have these weird jerking movements that are motivated by ourselves. We are decaying. We are falling apart. We are dead and lifeless. And here's the thing. We cannot stick anything else in the place of the heart and it work. We can't stick a hand in the heart. We can't stick a stomach there and say, okay, this will be what drives us. We can't use works, gifts, ministry, good intentions, good feelings, or even a great leader or pastor to be what drives and pumps life to our body. None of that will be life. It will be like this weird, freakish zombie. And the world will see it and be like, that is terrifying. I want no part of that because we lack the life 
that love brings into our lives. Paul's saying that these gifts should flow naturally out of the overflow of Christ's love in you. Because our main point, without love, we would be nothing. More, more specifically, without Christ's love, we would be nothing. As we read in Romans 5, 8, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. John three sixteen, which many of you may know, God so loved the world that he gave that is love displayed. Without love, I would be nothing. And the beauty is he is what defines love. We read in scripture, it says God is love. So we do not truly experience and taste and feel love unless we have experienced God. And it was displayed in this way in his life, death, and resurrection here, taking the payment for our sins and making us right with him. This is love displayed for us. And it must be our heart, it must be the heart of the body that drives and pumps life into us. Because without love, who would I and where would I really be? I know, I can't speak for you, but I know for myself, I would just be going through life empty, broken, hurt, spiteful, bitter, angry, resentful, floating from one moment to another, just trying to get by, looking out for myself only, and by the end of the day, feeling oh so, so empty. But the beauty of the gospel is that because of his love for us, I have experienced it. I have received his love. I have been brought near into his presence to receive and then pour out his love. If I do not have that, then honestly, really, I have absolutely nothing. I might have items and objects and a few personality traits that might be okay. But without that love that fills me, I truly have nothing at the end of the day. And this isn't an issue of love versus the gifts that Paul teaches. A church should never be forced to choose between love and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul is emphasizing the focus and goal of these gifts. It is so that love, not the gifts, would be evident and poured out to the church and to the world. So we have this first part that talks about without love, these are useless and empty. And you might be sitting there and you have the question, what is love? And you're allowed to think the song when you hear that. I always think the song like, anyone else hear the song when they hear those words? Come on, I'm young and I hear hear the song. Um, And you might be thinking, um, I want to know what love is. (laughs) Another great song. Um, I could keep doing this all day probably. That's how my brain works and song lyrics. But jokes aside, I want us to take a look at the scripture here and see how it actually defines love so we can get a picture of what love is. In order for us to understand that without love these gifts are useless, then I must understand what love truly is so I can see and know what it looks like and see the evidence in my life. 
And this isn't a love like we so often throw around today, like, oh, I love pizza and poutine, and I love The Office and Netflix and coffee and all these things that are very fleeting and conditional and emotion-based. But this is a deep and rooted and lasting love. So let's take a look at verses 4 through 7 and how Paul defines it here. He simply starts with verse 4, straight up, love is patient and kind. Paul starts describing love by two words of action. At the beginning, we see love described by action words, not by lofty concepts. Paul's not writing about how love feels. He's writing about how it can be seen in action. True love is always demonstrated in action. And we can also define what love is by saying what love isn't. So we have this great chart that will, will give us a good comparison. We'll see, all right, this is what love is. This is it displayed. But I can also define what it is not by saying this is not love. So I know this is what it's supposed to look like. So we're going to look and see these in Scripture. And you can, you can write them down. It will help you. It helps me kind of connect the dots. Um, but verses 4 and 5, he just starts. He says, love is not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not proud. And it is not rude. So you'll see those the first things on our love is not. It is so opposite of what the world tells us, right? The world says greed and envy push you to achieve more. But scripture tells us that love is not envious or jealous. The world says to boast of your achievements, but Scripture says love does not boast because it does not matter of your achievements, but the love that is spread to others. With spiritual gifts, we can easily gravitate towards being prideful and boastful of the gifts we have and what God equips us to do. But that is not love. And without it, we just read that it's oh so useless. Pride keeps us from serving and loving others, so love is not prideful because pride tells us that we are in the right and that we deserve while others do not. Love does not demand its own way, so that's another thing. Love, it does not demand its own way. And if you've known me for a second, you know that this is my, like, big ultimate struggle. Um... I often want to be right in the situation and I want like at the sake like a <laughs> sake of others be right because it's like this is the right way we should be doing it this way because it's easier and like it's a very narrow mind that lacks love because pride demands its own way because it cannot bend to serve and help others because yourself is more important than that others receiving service and love instead of you just being right Love does not demand its own way because it desires to love and serve others. Because love, this is one thing love is, love elevates others above self. And boy, is that hard. <laughs> love is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. So you can see that on the side. It is not irritable. No record of wrong because it puts others above itself. I read this really interesting story um, this week of a tribe in the world um, where it's practiced that everyone keeps a reminder of their hatred for other people. Listen to this. So these reminders were suspended from the roofs of their huts to keep alive the memory of the wrongs, real or imagined, that have happened to them in their lives. 
And it's so you don't forget who wronged you and so that you can go out and either beat them, conquer them, or achieve more than them, or not trust them again, because you have this record of wrong hung in your house that reminds you, if I stay away from them and hold on to this anger, I will be a better person. I will achieve more, and I will be successful. And I can read that scenario, that story, and be like, that's ridiculous. People are crazy and ignore that I do the very same thing in my life. If you're like me, I fill my mind, my home, with little reminders of how people have done things to me. I hold on to past hurts, and I say, I can't trust them again because I'll feel that way. And so if I stay away from them, I will have a better life. And say, for example, like if James said something to me, which... You know, James is just always uplifting, so I can use him as an example. If James said something to me I didn't like, I would be like, well, forget this guy. I have a memory right here. It's going to hang from my home. I don't like him anymore. And guess what? When we have conversation, it's going to be short, and I'm not even going to grab coffee with him because I don't want to talk to him long enough, and I'm going to say hi to him at the door, then I'm going to sit down, I'm going to walk out. Because I have this reminder of what has been wronged and what I think I am owed, and that if I avoid it, I will have a happier life. And what's so dangerous is we live this angry and grudge-holding life. We never trust others. We build walls. We are quick to anger. We are irritable and spiteful and prideful because we remember and hold on to these past wrongs, and then we try to walk into the church and serve. We cannot serve and use our gifts if we are keeping these reminders suspended from our homes and we hold on to them. Because it is lacking love. And without love, all of our service and gifts are oh so empty and useless and will actually cause more pain in the church than good. So if you're like me this morning... You, you have these things in your home, not your home home, but in your mind, your home of your mind, whatever you want to call it. You, they're suspended, and you're like, yeah, that's me, Dylan, right there. Cut every one of those strings. We have read this morning what love looks like, and we can identify that no ounce of love remains in that. And you have freedom to just let it go. Because you don't have to carry it because our life is not for ourselves, but is for the glorification of God. So no matter who wrongs us or what has happened, we can let go because it is not us that we are worried about with the glorification and spread of Christ's love. Some more things that love are in verse 7. Some more action words, not feely, lofty words. Paul uses here, love never gives up. Even on difficult people, love never loses faith. Faith in the Lord and that he is good and faith in others. Love is always hopeful. This is a hard part for me in a broken world. Love is always hopeful. It doesn't see and expect the worst in people. I oftentimes can get very pessimistic about the world and the reality that it is broken and hurting. And I can start to just expect the worst in people and not have love for them. 
I'll immediately have this guard that says, well, they're just going to do this, so why even bother? What we read here, love is always hopeful in people. Love hopes all things. It has confidence in the future, not pessimism. When hurt, it does not say it will be this way forever, and it's probably going to get worse like we so often do. It hopes for the best, and it hopes in God. And Paul also writes, in love endures through every circumstance. And I'll say this again because it is so, so important in this teaching. That love, this is the love that we're talking about here, that only comes from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot show and display this love if we have not encountered and experienced Jesus ourselves. You can replace every word in the scripture for Jesus, and it makes 100% sense because he is love. Read it. It says, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus doesn't demand his own way. You can keep going, and you're like, that's Jesus. And when we learn that he is love, he is the expression of love, you start to say, okay, I'm called to that expression. Can I put the name of Dylan in this scripture? Can I say... Bear with me, this will probably be comical. Dylan is patient. Dylan is kind. Already it's like, uh, this is hypocrisy. (laughs) Dylan is not jealous or boastful. That is like, so when we start to put our names in this scripture, it should make sense. Because we have the very own love that is defined by inside of us, the love of Jesus Christ. If we have had a relationship and given ourselves to him. We can easily listen to a sermon series on giftings and we can get wrapped up in what we can do with them and how we can better serve the church and all the great things we can accomplish with them and we can make them more about the gifts themselves instead of the motive and the one who gives them. We can start making church and our relationship with Jesus more about what we can do and what we bring to the table instead of receiving and pouring out of his love. He will use the gifts that he has uniquely given you to pour his love out to the world. That is what is important. The pouring out of his love so that he is glorified, not myself. It must, must, must be rooted in our relationship with Jesus. No other place can be our heart that pumps life into our body except the love of Jesus Christ himself. And if we do not have this love, And then all of our works, everything we can do, the food drive, standing up here, me teaching, everything we do without love, it can be so useless and empty. And this is a reality. If if this resonates with you, this is speaking from my own personal experience of serving in church. So I'm not attacking you. Don't feel guilty. This is like me speaking openly with you. If we lack this love and step into serving the church, you will burn out so, so fast, like the tiniest match ever lit. You'll get so tired of serving in the church, and you'll actually probably start hating the church. And you'll hate arriving, and you'll love leaving, and you'll hate every second of serving. Because church has become about what you can receive and how you can feel instead of pouring out and building up of the body. So I start pouring, like saying this mentality of what I can get from the church. So when I pour out my gifts and I use my things so I can get 
blank, so I can get recognition, so I can get good standing in the church, so I can feel prideful, I can feel holy or connected or a part of something. And we start putting church this valuable of these things I can receive instead of what we can have poured out of us. And when I'm not recognized or praised for what I am doing, I am so frustrated. I'm so quick to anger and I'm so quick to say, forget this church. They don't appreciate me. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not serving anymore. They don't care about me. Because we have made it more about ourselves instead of abiding in Christ and pouring out the love that he has put into our lives because our giftings are not for ourselves, they are for others. Because none of it is done out of love. All of it is useless and empty. And like that fleeting match, it burns and we let go and we say, wow, that hurt, I'm never doing that again. It does not build up the church. Like in verse 1 It is a loud, annoying gong being smashed, saying, look at me, look what I can do. And no one likes the sound of a gong. (laughs) We talked about that. We are to use our gifts and serve the church and community as Jesus did, purely out of his love and his love only. We read his patient, kind, not boastful, doesn't ask for anything, It never gives up, and it endures all things. I don't want you to be discouraged that, like, oh, man, I don't really display love well. Hey, join the club. Like, (laughs) we're learning this together. And it's not saying, you're not displaying any love. You're the worst. You should feel bad about it. It's Paul saying, these are the giftings. It's rooted in love, so come back to this. Come back to abiding and being filled by his love, and then be sent out as the church. So if you're feeling weighed by this message, I encourage you. He's saying, surrender this anger, this bitterness to me. These things hung from your ceiling. Let them go and receive love. Because it is the most important. And I'm going to summarize the last couple verses here. Paul's basically looking, he's basically writing to the church. And he's saying, all right, if you don't believe me, That love is the most important thing. Let me put it two other ways for you because we're so stubborn and we don't listen. Paul says, one day these gifts that I've just described, they're going to be useless. We're not going to need them. Because Paul says, one day we will be face to face with Christ in eternity. We won't need to speak in tongues because we will have him speaking directly to us. We won't need to prophesy because we won't need to try to figure out what he is teaching and telling us is to come. He will be speaking directly to us and we will be with him. And Paul uses the image of a mirror. At the time, their mirrors weren't like ours. They were a little blurry and not perfect. He says, now we look at Christ and his plans through this blurry mirror, and we kind of see them, see the picture of Christ, but we don't have everything completely, so we need these giftings. We need this because it helps reveal the image more clearly. But there will be a day where we will stand face-to-face with him and see him crystal clear. And we will need these gifts. He says, okay, you don't believe that. Let me put it another way for you so we really get this because we all live, we are all people, and we live and grow up. So he gives this image of being born and being a kid. In the verses he says, as a kid, I did things that a kid did. I thought, I reasoned, 
and I acted as a kid did because that's what you do as a kid. Like there's nothing wrong with those things. And there's nothing wrong with the times now and the giftings he's given. But he's saying when I reach maturity, when you are old enough, you put away those things. You don't do them anymore because what matters remains. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you what matters. This is what remains. In the last verse, he says in 13, three things will last forever. Not that you're going to start doing them once you grow up or once you're not a child anymore. He said, these things remain. You're taught them and you do them as a child, but these remain when all else goes away. These things will last forever. forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. A reminder that I would be nothing without love. What I've experienced from him, what he has put into me, these three remain faith, hope, and love. As we close, I want us to think about this. Our faith, hope, and love that remain faith in God and the salvation he offers, hope in his return in eternity with him, and the love that he poured out for us and he fills with you to then be poured out and experienced by the world. Without Christ and his love, I am truly empty and have nothing. But the beautiful reminder, church, that his love is offered freely to you today. It came at such a great cost to him, but he stands before you today with open arms and says, receive my love and experience life. It will be what drives you. Without it, you're just a a noisy symbol. But when you experience his love, see what can happen. It is for you today. If you have more questions about this or what it looks like to receive his love, to start a relationship with Jesus, we want to talk to you. You can send a message to us on social media. There's a form in in the end you can click, fill out, send to us. This is not something we want to just wait around. If you have questions, we will answer and we want to talk to you. If you're in the room and you have these questions, feel free to approach any of us in this room. We want to be open in a family that pours out love and builds each other up. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, there's cards in the back. You can fill one out with your name and number and the question you have that you just want to talk and hear more about this love. You can put it in the black box in the end and we will connect with you. Be encouraged, church, that we can be a people of love, not hanging on to these grudges and these angers and trying to serve from a place of that, getting so burnt out, and being these weird, freakish, zombie things that roam around Montreal, clattering our teeth together. We don't have to be that. The beauty says we can experience real love by abiding in Christ and what he then gives to you to be poured out to the world as he poured out. Be reminded of what love is and watch how he displays it in your life when we truly, truly surrender ourselves to him for the sake of his glorification. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.